Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is brought to our church by our worship pastor, Brian Self. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. If you will, in your Bibles, turn over to 1 Kings 17, and I do want to thank Pastor for the opportunity to be able to preach this evening, and uh, this particular uh, passage of Scripture is one that uh, Carlos and I went over uh, in our, we have a Bible Babbles podcast is what we call it. It's basically just a Bible study that we go through some different uh, historical accounts in the Word of God and uh, just go through some applications that we can have for everyday life. And uh, I know that uh, particularly as it relates to the historical parts or the stories of the Word of God, sometimes we can wonder, all right, what does this really mean for me? Like, it's a great story. Maybe there's some cool things that take place, but what's the practical application to us for today? And uh, in our podcast, we went over some of the things that we'll talk about today, uh, but uh, got to spend quite a bit more time really diving into uh, the passage and just being encouraged from it. And I think that uh, as we go through this tonight, if you'll allow God to speak to your heart, uh, this is a passage that, man, all through this week I have been challenged, I've been encouraged, and uh, I hope that you would be as well as we look at God's Word. Uh, I've entitled the message, Cared For. I also thought uh, maybe one of the words that could be used to describe this passage would be pampered. Isn't it great to be pampered? Uh, maybe when you're eating at a restaurant, eating food that you didn't have to prepare, you didn't have to uh, slave over a hot stove to make it happen, you didn't have to go to the store and get the ingredients, Uh, you just got to sit down, tell other people the food that they should make for you, and then they come and they bring it to you. Uh, Getting a haircut, Um, I have not yet tried to cut, actually that's not true, I did try and cut my hair one time, and uh, my wife would attest it it came out, uh, I think Samantha described it as, I looked like a bald chick with the roundness of my head doing the one blade all over uh, my head. Uh, it's great to be pampered by getting someone else to give you a haircut, something that would be pretty difficult for you to do for yourself, uh, but that someone else does for you. I've heard of some of the nicer places where maybe they've got a hot towel that maybe they would have uh, helping you out with that and maybe shampooing your hair and all sorts of nice things. I just go for the cheap one, but I've heard you can get really, really pampered getting a haircut. Uh, I haven't personally experienced this one, but a manicure or a pedicure uh, that someone else does all of this work and you just get to sit back and be pampered. Maybe not in quite the same thought of being pampered as we'd think about it today, but isn't it a comfort to know that God cares for us? But it doesn't always feel like he cares for us, does it? When a loved one dies, when battling emotions and habits and sins is hard, we don't always feel God's care for us. Maybe when things are tough financially. In the Old Testament, there are several examples of people who felt truly uncared for by God. You think about Job, whose family and possessions were all taken away. 
And it wasn't really until much, much later in the book that he had any idea why. I think of Joseph, who was sold by his family into a foreign land where he was a slave. And then even though he was diligent in his work ethic and rose to really the top of uh, the area that he was working in, then he was accused falsely and then imprisoned as a result. I think of David, who was anointed the king of Israel, who killed a giant, who married a princess, and then had to go on the run for years from Saul. All of these people who maybe would have felt uncared for by God. This is one of those stories in 1 Kings 17. It starts off in an often neglected portion of the Bible, the middle chapters of 1 Kings. When someone says, hey, what's your favorite passage of scripture? Most people don't go, man, the book of 1 Kings, that's where I really get my encouragement from God's word. Uh, but the book of 1 Kings details the rapid descent of Israel's kingdom after the deaths of David and Solomon. The kingdom splits again into the north and south as it had during the time of David and Saul, with the northern kingdom of Israel consistently worshiping the false gods that had been their downfall during the book of Judges. Encouraging this behavior were the kings of Israel, who seemed to progressively get worse and worse and worse until we read these verses in the end of 1 Kings 16 from the Lord. It says, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light or an inconsequential thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, the king of the Zidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshiped him. It was to this apostate country that the Lord sent a prophet named Elijah. Elijah was from the town of Tishbe in Gilead, which was part of the tribe of Manasseh, which was on the opposite side of Jordan, right next to many of the countries that would alternate between being invaded by Israel and invading Israel themselves. Elijah's name is a combination of Elohim and Yahweh, so Eli, Elohim, and Jah, or in Hebrew they don't have J's, so Yahweh, meaning the Lord is God, in seeming direct opposition to the claims of the time that Baal was the one true God. So you have this person that from the northern kingdom uh, is incredibly, uh, really comes out of the blue that we don't read about anything about really his ancestry, the kind of people that he grew up around, even how big the city of Tishbe would have been. But he jumps onto the scene in 1 Kings 17 and verse number 1. Elijah comes into this wickedest court that Israel had ever had and prophesied this judgment from the Lord against King Ahab and his country. He says, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. As you can imagine, this condemnation of Israel's idolatry, that they had been following Ahab and Jezebel in worshiping the false god Baal, the sky god, the rain god. Uh, This prophecy was incredibly offensive to them as Baal was supposed to be the sky god. And if a prophet 
of the Lord was able to stop the rain, it would destroy the people of Israel's faith in Baal and in Ahab and Jezebel who demanded Israel to worship Baal. So God began to take care of Elijah in some incredible ways that we'll look at tonight. And I believe we will be challenged and encouraged by some of these specific ways this evening. Why? Because as our loving Heavenly Father, we can know that God will take care of us in every circumstance of life. The first of these ways that I see God taking care of Elijah is that God cared for him in times of loneliness. We can see this starting in verse number two of the chapter. And the word of the Lord came unto him saying, get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Kareth that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook and I've commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord for he went and dwelt by the brook Kareth that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. A couple of things to note here about these verses. Uh, Kareth was in a particular area that's described today as a wadi. Now, these areas are kind of overflow sections of the river. So these would be things that wouldn't have water going through them at all times. Instead, it would mainly be during the rainy seasons that there'd be some overflow and these wadis would get uh, little streams, little trickles. It wasn't a main section of river that would be going through. But God sends Elijah to this place. This would have meant that it took faith for Elijah to go to an overflow river of sorts and trust that God would continue to provide. Not only that, but this particular brook was very close to Gilead, where Elijah was originally from. However, Elijah wasn't relying on family or friends to provide for him. Instead, God had chosen this little river and ravens. Of special note is the fact that ravens are, by nature, malicious and uncaring, so much so that they don't even provide for their own children for more than a month. Uh, many birds and uh, many animals would provide for their young until maybe they're old enough to go out on their own and to start families of their own, uh, but ravens abandon their own children after a month and uh, several years before they are actually able to start families of their own. Yet, by God's providence, ravens fed Elijah every day for about a year. So 12 times longer than ravens would feed their own children, God directs these birds to feed Elijah. Now think about this. Can you imagine being without any human contact for a year? Uh, the Bible doesn't specifically record anyone having come by and visiting Elijah. Obviously, at this point, he's uh, Israel's most wanted for Ahab and Jezebel because he's announced this thing of there's going to be no rain in Israel except when I say so. And uh, for about a year uh, up until the end of this particular period, uh, it doesn't mention him interacting with anyone besides the Lord and hearing from God and the ravens, who I assume he would have talked to uh, at a certain point. You just get lonely enough for company that you'd have to start conversing with them. I don't think they were particularly conversant back. 
Obviously, we all just came out of a year of quarantine, social distancing, Zoom calls, online school, virtual Easter in 2020, and tons of other crazy situations, but at least we could see people and talk to them in some way. Elijah, however, was completely alone, cut off. Interestingly enough, the name of this brook, Kareth, it means cut off, and that's really what God had done for Elijah. He had providentially cut Elijah off from everyone else for his own safety, and so he could learn to trust the Lord to provide for him. How often do we feel incredibly alone, even in better situations than Elijah's? We don't feel like anyone understands what we're going through. We don't think that anyone can do something to actually help us. And we don't want to be vulnerable with others in case they aren't truly our friends. However, just as with Elijah, God promises to be with us when we feel alone and isolated. You can see here in Hebrews 13, he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. Matthew 28, lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. And 1 John 4, you're of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. We must remember that when it feels like we're cut off, that our loving Heavenly Father might have just put us into that place, like Elijah, so we would know what it is for God to provide for us. So we've seen God provide for Elijah when he was lonely, but the second way I see God taking care of Elijah is that God cared for him when things were lean. We can see this beginning in verse number seven. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there'd been no rain in the land. And I think at this point in the verse, Elijah had a choice here to become bitter to become overwhelmed with anxiety or fear, but he had just seen God alone provide for him for about a year, and he was resting in that comfort. If for 12 months, every day, every meal, I have the brook that's providing enough water for me to drink from and the ravens are coming, man, I'm I'm gonna feel at least, maybe, uh, after three months, I'm feeling pretty set. After six months, it's like, oh, yeah, this is normal. I don't even remember what it's like to go get my own food. Uh, After nine months, you might be going, are there any other birds that bring food? These guys are getting kind of boring to look at. Uh, Are there any crows? Are there any falcons? Something maybe a little bit cooler. Uh, But after 12 months of having this occur, and then all of a sudden, the brook dries up. And uh, it doesn't specify that the ravens didn't come anymore, but we would assume, given the state of the river, that the ravens didn't come either, that there could have been this fear. But God speaks to him in verse number 8. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Elijah, for this year, has been living in the wilderness across the Jordan River, safe and out of sight from Ahab and Jezebel. And now God has told him to go back across the Jordan, 
across the entirety of the country of Israel over to the country where Jezebel's father is the king. So uh, many of us would be familiar with Jordan and the fact that the children of Israel, when they were coming into the promised land, they crossed over the Jordan. There were a couple of tribes that had some land that was on the opposite side, and Elijah's part of those tribes. But now he's crossing over the Jordan into really the country of Israel proper. And God tells him, I want you to go all the way across, which would have gone past uh, the capital city of Israel, which would have kind of put him in danger of being found perhaps by Ahab and Jezebel. And he tells him, I want you to go to Jezebel's home country, to the city of Zarephath. Verse number 10, so he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, fetch or bring me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. What a bold request. Uh, A year into a drought that Elijah had brought in, he's asking this woman who is on the bottom rung or class in society to provide water for him. A widow, especially during this time, was not really living off of a bunch of inheritance that she had gotten from her husband. We would know that she was still raising children from the rest of the story. And uh, for him to ask this is a huge thing. But we can see even more uh, in verse number 11. And as she was going to fetch it or bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. As if asking for water in a drought wasn't bad enough, now Elijah asked the woman for food as well. But she responds to him, and she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake or anything baked. Don't think uh, some of the delicious stuff that we had at the, uh, what did we call that, youth auction? Yeah, a couple weeks ago. Don't think that. Uh, not the delicious Russian cakes, and there were some other ones. Don't think that. Think, uh, what does McDonald's call it, a hot cake? Uh, Think a pancake, but not one you'd put syrup on, just something small and baked. (laughs) Yeah, cornbread. She says, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal or flour in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Here's, here, the widow's true situation comes to light. While the drought had apparently not completely dried up Zarephath yet, the widow and her son had no food left except a little flour and a little oil. She had been willing to give Elijah water, but she wasn't willing to give up her and her son's last meal on earth for him. But here we see Elijah's comment in verse number 13. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thine son. What an incredibly insensitive statement this appears to be until we read the next verse. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Elijah, to this point in scripture, has not specifically mentioned the Lord saying anything to anyone. 
uh, even when he's preaching this, uh, this condemnation, this prophecy about the rain to Ahab and Jezebel, he simply tells them that as the Lord lives or by the Lord's power, there would be no rain unless Elijah said so. Instead, this first direct message from God through Elijah came to a complete outsider. As a Sidonian, she was a racial outsider. She wasn't a Jew, and she was a religious outsider. It was uh, Sidon that was this kind of birthplace of Baal worship that then Jezebel had brought to Ahab and to all of Israel. As a woman, she was an outsider by her gender that most people would view as inferior. During this time, women were more commodities or possessions. They weren't viewed as legitimate people. And as a widow, she was an economic and social outsider who was both poor, she didn't have any food left, and she barely had any water, and viewed with suspicion, scorn, and shame. Aren't you glad that God loves the outsiders? It reminds me of the words of Jesus in Luke 4. He says, I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, but to none of them was Elijah sent, save to Zarephath, a city of Sidon, to a woman that was a widow. It also reminds me of the words we just read in 1 Corinthians 1 this morning. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence." Here we see in this next verse in 15, and she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. This incredible miracle occurred in tandem with the promise of the Lord Almighty and the obedient faith of the widow woman. For somewhere in the neighborhood of two and a half years, this small family and Elijah had food every day by a continual miracle of God. Uh, if you look there, I believe at the beginning of verse number 15, after Elijah's told her what to do uh, of going and making the cake and bringing it back, and the promise that God would continue to have that flour and oil continue, then it says she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. How often do we want the miracles that God can provide without exercising any obedient faith? We don't seek the Lord on a daily basis, but we want him to make us healthy, wealthy, and wise. We don't think that God's important enough to tell anyone else about, but we get frustrated at all of the people in our town and nation that don't know him and don't follow his laws. We want Christ as our Savior, but we refuse to submit to him as our Lord. However, I'm greatly encouraged that God promised to take care of the widow and her son before they ever did anything. 
for us this evening, take courage in the fact that God's already promised to take care of his children before we've ever obeyed. I think of Psalm 55, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. In Philippians 4, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. In Psalm 37, trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Romans 5, God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 8, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. All of these promises of God that are not contingent on If Tom Loss does this, then all of these promises are true. If Veronica lives this many days right with the Lord in a row, then she can have these blessings from the Lord. No, God has bestowed these blessings on his children because of his own righteousness. God's blessings in our lives do not come because of our goodness or our righteousness, but because of his This truth became crystal clear to the widow of Zarephath in the last verses of this chapter, in which we see that God cared for them in times of loss. Verse 17 begins with this ancient Hebrew phrase, and it came to pass after these things, that the son of the woman, the mistress or lady of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore or severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to, uh, to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? This widow woman who had risked her and her son's last meal for the prophet of the Lord, the man named Yahweh is God, she now held her son lifeless in her hands. She understandably takes out some anger on Elijah and asks him, why are you here? We, we don't have anything in common. That's that phrase, what have I to do with thee? We, we don't have anything in common. Then she vocalizes the concern many of us have when things go wrong in our lives. Did you come here to remind me about my sin and to kill my son as punishment? However, she didn't realize That wasn't why Elijah was there, and that wasn't how God viewed the situation. You see, God is not interested in bringing punishment and retribution on his children. Rather, he's interested in bringing us closer to himself, that we would know what it is to be completely supported, provided for, and loved by our Abba Father. In Isaiah 53, we can see this truth. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace or the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Jesus already took the full wrath of God upon himself. You are never being punished by God for your wrongdoing. 
you are being brought back into his heart, into his arms. Though the hold that we have on the things of the world often makes that journey back to the Lord painful. <laughs> that if someone's holding tightly onto this thing and God's trying to bring him back to himself, we might go, man, I'm feeling stretched. I'm feeling pain in this circumstance because of, I think, my wrongdoing. But it's God removing us from the hold that we have on this world, on our sin, and he's bringing us back to himself. In 1 John 4, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This Bible or theological word propitiation means an atoning sacrifice. The implications are that Christ atoned or he paid for all our sins with his sacrifice. And when we think that God is somehow punishing us for our sins, we are in essence saying that Jesus did not pay it all. And from the song this morning, that we do not owe all to him because we're still paying off some sins on our own. However, I love the picture of the gospel that shows up in these next couple of verses. Uh, verse number 19, And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he, Elijah, abode and laid him upon his own bed. Elijah took the boy up to his own room and placed him on his own bed. Here, God has his representative, Elijah, take the one who died and put him in Elijah's place, put him in the representative of God's place. And can I remind us this evening that we've been put in the place of Christ. Ephesians 2 says, He hath quickened us together with Christ, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 3 says, Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he should bring us to God. 1 Corinthians 1 says, But ye are his in Christ Jesus, whom God hath made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that we are joint heirs with, with Christ. We have been given all that belongs to Jesus Christ. Verse number 20, And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times, and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. Here, God has his representative take the place of the one who had died. That the boy is laid out on Elijah's bed. So in Elijah's place, and now Elijah lays out on him. You could almost think of it in a way as CPR, but the child's already dead. And so he assumes the same position in the same place that the one who is dead is in. And he breathes into him. Doesn't that remind you of how Christ himself was stretched out on the cross in our place? That just as Elijah stretched out on this one that was dead, Christ stretched himself out on the cross. Said, Father, forgive them for they know not what, he, what they do. He's the one that said 
to Telestai. It is finished. It is complete. Verse number 22, And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. Now, it might just be my personal imagination, and maybe I've been around sassy people too often, but I can see this last phrase kind of played out of he brings the son down, he's no longer lifeless, he's no longer breathless, instead he is awake and alive, and he brings him down and he says, see, your son's living, what are you talking about? Uh, I think that's just the sassiness of the people I hang out with that uh, makes me think that particular thought. But then the woman says this. The woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. Here we can see God's purpose for this widow, not to punish her for her past sins, but to show her that he was the one true God. We too should realize that in times of loss, we are not being condemned and tortured by God, but we are graciously being held and shown a greater revelation of who our infinitely good God is. So we see that God cared for Elijah in times of loneliness. God cared for him when things were lean, when there wasn't a lot of resources. And God cared for both Elijah and the widow in times of loss. I have always been touched by the song, God will take care of you through every day or all the way. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. Man, I think of so many of those uh, verses in, uh, in the song, Jesus' Firm Foundation. Uh, that are taken directly from the words of Scripture. Fear not, he is with us. Oh, be not dismayed, for he is our guide, our sustainer and strength. He'll be our defender and cause us to stand upheld by his merciful almighty hand. The soul that is trusting in Jesus as Lord will press on, enduring the darkest of storms. And though even hell should endeavor to shake, he'll never no, never, no, never forsake. And it's not just a song line there. It's taken from in Hebrews 13. We don't quite have the same, uh, we don't quite have the same grammatical whatevers as Hebrew, or sorry, not Hebrew, as Greek does. But in Hebrews 13, 5, sorry, Hebrews, yes, correct. Hebrews 13, 5. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. In there, in Greek, there's five different negatives. Now, in English, when we have some negatives, they kind of cancel each other out. So if I told Rob, I will never not be your friend, I'd have to think for a second and go, wait, am I always going to be Rob's friend or am I never going to be Rob's friend? In Greek, it just continues to emphasize what's happening there. And uh, the writer of Hebrews in there put five different negatives. It's God will never, 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 never leave you 
or forsake you. There is such comfort that comes in knowing that we are cared for by an almighty God. That whatever comes, if it's we're feeling lonely, if it's things are lean, we don't know maybe where the next paycheck is going to come from, we don't know what's coming ahead, or maybe it's a time of loss like this widow woman. We can know that God cares for us. He loves us. He's for us. And that even in the hard times, he's not punishing us. Instead, he's showing us a greater glimpse of who he is and what he desires to do in our life. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.